Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Travers. This is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies. And my friend here, Alexander Skarsgård, has a movie called The Kill Team, a movie of some serious intent. I saw The Kill Team first when it was a documentary. So this is basically a true story that has been semi-changed now. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw the documentary as well. It's a it's a ultimately a whistleblower story about a soldier who uh, um, is very disturbed by what his unit is doing out in Afghanistan, and he's complicit in it as well, which makes it very difficult. And when Dan Krause, the filmmaker, reached out and said he was working on a narrative feature about the same subject matter, about the same guys, um, I was. I definitely wanted to meet him because I thought the documentary was so interesting and I loved him. He was great. He was a fascinating guy, very uh, intelligent. His take on on the dynamic of the group and why he wanted to make it a narrative feature of it was um, appealing to me. And it was a fascinating role. It's very disturbing. It's very dark. It's not the archetypical villain. It's not, you don't fall for those tropes. It, it, it felt... Um, uh, there was a great complexity to the character that I was excited to to work on, to explore. And he was very generous as a director, and he really wanted actors to come in and um, with with thoughts and ideas and, and, and uh, to have fun with their characters, as fun as you can have in a, on a dark subject matter. Well, <laughs> we should describe him a little, this uh, sergeant. He's... It's interesting because what you're saying is making somebody complex who could have been played as a villain, but yet he's not. He's a human being with these flaws, these major flaws. And so we kind of are on his side in the kill team. We see he has a gentle voice. He's not somebody who's really screaming at anybody about what they should do. But what he's asking them to do is basically repellent. Yeah, and it was important to... For for Deeks to win them over, um, before asking them to do things that they might be uncomfortable mm-hmm. doing, which it could harm civilians. Which is I don't want to go too deeper into what's happening. But yeah, that's what happened in life. Exactly. What happened was in terms of the rules of engagement, he doesn't agree with them. He believes that there's another way that's more uh, that will protect him and his men. Um, and, and to him, everyone outside the perimeter of the base is basically a, an enemy. If they're not holding a gun, they are complicit in what they're, the, the, the bad guys are doing. And um, they're an accomplice. Anyone's a target, basically. Uh, because he believes that they view him and his soldiers as targets. So um, there's a line in the movie where it says, well, you kill one of them, you save 10 of ours, and are you telling me that that's wrong? Mm-hmm. And that's how he morally justifies what he's doing. So he obviously doesn't think that he's doing something horrific. Um, he really believes in it. Um, and the way to convince the soldiers to not intimidate them, I, I like that it's not doing it by force. Um, he shows up because the, the previous sergeant died stepping on an IED. And these soldiers are young. It's their first deployment. They, they're scared. And then he shows up with tons of experience. He is confident, but mm-hmm. they admire him. For him just to look at them or acknowledge them would mean the world. And he is charming and nice. And on their side, there's a scene where they smoke some pot. He catches them doing that. 
and they're terrified, like, what will our sergeant now do? And he's like, don't worry about it. Like, oh, don't, don't <laughs> smoke that. Shit. I'll get you some, pre, some mm-hmm. primo stuff. So they like him. He's one of the guys, which is his way of, in a way, manipulating them to make it's sure that they will. very manipulative. Yeah, because yeah. he knows that by doing that, they will follow him blindly. Can we stop and look at a scene yeah. from the kill team where yeah. just that kind of thing is happening? All right. Who wants to make a difference? That's not a rhetorical question. Who wants to make a difference? Good. I'm going to make you a deal. You give me your loyalty, and I guarantee that each and every one of you will have a chance to be a warrior. To actually do something out here. To be a part of history. Instead of reading about it in some book. I like that wolf in that scene looking like, do I believe this guy? Yeah. You know? <laughs> because he, he wants like, to be a hero. He and does. in the beginning of this scene, Nat's character is reading a book on history. So when Deeks walks up to give this little little speech, he clocks it and he's like, oh, you're, uh, you're a fan of history, huh? Mm-hmm. So that's why he wants to end it. And, and he knows that all these guys, young guys want to do, they want to be heroes. They want to be, like he says, this is your opportunity to be a part of history instead mm-hmm. of just reading about it in some book. Um, so this is his way of just tickling that a little bit <laughs> to get them excited and just like, trust me, you know, follow me and you get to do great things. I think what this movie is about and what it's saying and what's manipulative about it is just very timely. It's, there's authority. Yeah. And it's how authority um, masks itself sometimes and how it creates a thing where you want to please it. Yeah. You know? Or you can also say, if you don't please it, it's going to be trouble for you. Absolutely. And how easy it is to surrender your morality to authority. Mm-hmm. The, the Milgram experiment... You remember that back in the day, they, I think it was back in the 60s, they, there was that famous experiment where they uh, had subjects push a button to electrocute someone in, an, in another room. Yeah. But because there was a doctor or an actor playing a doctor conducting this experiment, telling the subject to, to do this, normal, good people, law-abiding citizens were willing to ultimately execute someone by mm-hmm. the push of a button in another room because they had surrendered their own morality to a, a, a person in, in a position of authority, um, which is very troubling. <laughs> and this movie touches on that a bit, where in the beginning they feel like they're part of a unit and the unit has its own morality and its own moral compass. And the leader of that unit is Deeks. So all they have to do is just follow blindly. And what happens for Brigman, Nat's character, it starts to rub against his own morality eventually. I was also fascinated with how Deke plays the guys against each other. It's almost like a love story, and it's a courtship. He it is. gives them a bit of attention, and then when someone's not quite doing what he wants him to, he'll ignore that and work on Rayburn, another character, instead. And then suddenly he's his pet, which will leave Fragman feeling stuck out in the cold. And it's yeah, like bring he's been, me back in. I yeah, want that. Yeah, it's like he's been abandoned by his lover, that. in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, no, but it's it it uh, obviously also feels quite timely because it's about uh, a whistleblower, which is quite topical right now, isn't it? It totally is. But look at you, look at you. You go from one thing to another without ever being the same. I mean, 
I'm watching, I watched you now on Being a God in Central Florida. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that guy yeah. is from another planet in yeah. some ways. Yeah. You know? I, I need a little levity between uh, uh, some of the dark projects I've worked on. So, so that was, it was a great opportunity to do that. I had a lot of fun on that job. And Kirsten Dunst and you to be back together again after Melancholy yeah. and your large Von Trier experience. Yeah, <laughs> right. we play a married couple again, again. after Melancholia. <laughs> a very different kind of. Very different. Thing. I couldn't have been more excited. It, it's I love I love Kirsten, and she's uh, obviously a fantastic actress, but also so we became very close on Melancholia, mm -hmm. and I was thrilled when she called and said she was doing this show and asked if I wanted to come in and and play her husband and then get eaten by. Should I reveal? It's a spoiler alert. I think, well, I, I think we out, know so. that now. <laughs> I think we see. Eaten by an alligator. alligator. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's all. Yeah. So you found that very appealing immediately, didn't you? Oh, I, I think, loved yes. it. Yes. And yeah. I love the, the way it was set up because it's set up as a two-hander and you think, all right, this is a show about this couple. <laughs> um, and I love when you, in a way, almost trick the audience to... So they sit back and eat their popcorn and think, like, I think I know what I'm watching, and this is going to be the trajectory of the show. <laughs> and then the end of the first, it's so surprising, hopefully, to the audience. You know, suddenly he's just eaten by it. What's and, to me? And, and the alligator, and then the show is about something very different, and it takes a different turn. Um, so that no, it's, it was lovely. But what does the success that you're having do to change it? When you were on Big Little Lies, you didn't only win the Emmy, you won the Golden Globe, the SAG Award, every other award that they could actually mint. Did that turn your head around? Did you look in the mirror and say, wow, you're fabulous. Well, I've, that's how I start my day every day, every even day. before those awards. <laughs> yeah, was, that's my so mantra. you didn't need the award. I didn't need the award for that. <laughs> I'm that's just doing it. My, it's my bloodline from <laughs> my parents. Like. Wow, you're fabulous. You're fabulous. Go wow. out there and conquer the world go today. Go do it. Yeah, yeah, go do it. But that must have been a great experience doing that series as well. Uh, it's extraordinary. It, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a great thing with you and Meryl Streep. We had one day, one day. on set together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one little moment. And she said, son. Yeah. <laughs> and I started crying. And that, you know, just my heart melted. <laughs> that was it. I mean, yeah, she, it's Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. It's um, there are a lot of extraordinary actors on Big Little Lies, obviously, <laughs> and I ha had the great privilege of working closely with Nicole. But Meryl Streep is, you know, I grew up watching her movies, and I was a massive fan. Kramer and Kramer was my parent, one of my parents' favorite movies. That's just is so that bad parenting because they would I would watch that with them when I was a kid. <laughs> Thing about such it's a, a great movie about a horrible divorce. divorce. Right, yeah. Kids, let's watch this. Well, I think th th it was their way of saying, you should be grateful that we're still together because look at this. Th this is what could happen. <laughs> this is what could. Yeah. It's, but what I think is weird is that your dad's done <laughs> in Mamma Mia <laughs> yeah. with, with her. Yeah. <laughs> Has way more scenes than you've ever had. Yeah, right? way more fun. fun. And, and, and singing and doing that and, you know. Dad loved every second of it. And I think it, he can't dance. He can't sing. Hey, he well, should he not be check. wearing, he should not be wearing spandex, but <laughs> he dances and he sings and he's wearing, <laughs> he wearing spandex and he loves it. And I think it, I think the audience loves it. Does he give you uh, pointers now in your career? Does he call you up and say, I just saw? Not after Kill dancing team? in spandex in Mamma Mia. He can't he, do it he, anymore. He, he can't do it anymore. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm like, Dad, you've lost that privilege. <laughs> but you've got, how many of you and your siblings are actors? Three? Yeah. Three? Three siblings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're eight kids and four of us are actors. How much do you all see of each other? So I live here in New York, <laughs> but I just got in a, my Everyone else is in Stockholm, so they all live back where I was born. Um, and I've lived here for many years. Uh, but I, we're a very tight family, and I go back every holiday. And whenever I have a long enough break to go home to Sweden, I go back. But I haven't had a place <clears throat> in Stockholm in 15 years. I'm actually getting, I got one last year and I'm moving in in a couple of weeks. So, oh. yeah, so I'm very excited about that to have an apartment. I'm still going to live here, but I'm to have a permanent base in Stockholm and to spend more time out there and be around my family. You can do a, a great American accent. Has that taken over you now? Is there any Swedish left in you? My dad's wife is, she's from Ohio. Mm-hmm. So she's lived in Sweden for many years, but when we're home, it's kind of a mix of English and Swedish now, so it's uh, it's kind of a weird uh, combination of the two. Did you ever have a problem with the American accent idea? Did you ever have to get to train yourself to get out of it? The British accent has been more difficult for me. Uh, I had to. I had a British accent on Tarzan, and that was trickier. I think my natu- my accent, my accent was already more American than British before I moved out here. We, uh, I lived in in Texas for a while when I was eight. And that'll I went, do it. That'll do it. Yeah. And I went to a, when my dad was shooting in Budapest. I went to an American school there when I was thirteen. So it was it was definitely felt more natural and more organic to slip into an American accent than um, than a British. So on. Tarzan, I had to work quite hard with a dialect coach. But has that seeped into being your accent when you're speaking English? I don't think so. Not that was a little Texas in there huh? when you said that. I don't think I so. I don't think, think so, so, Peter. Whoa, what? What? Well, it's <laughs> yeah. like those informative years, you know, for the formative years of, of, uh, of being, when I was, that, I was so young, that was like the first time I was exposed to the English language was when I was in Texas, which was an amazing experience because it was Fredericksburg, it was like proper cowboy country. Mm-hmm. And coming from Stockholm, I was an urban kid from downtown Stockholm, and I was in a cowboy movie because, like, there were I was surrounded by real cowboys on horses, and I loved every second of it. And I even got a pair of beautiful cowboy boots, and I was so excited to come back home to Stockholm. I was like imagining this moment of day one of being back from from uh from from texas walking in in my cowboy boots and all the kids would be like oh my god he's a cowboy and then i walked in and everyone started laughing at me and everyone said like why are you wearing women's boots like it's like because you know they they as an eight-year-old for eight-year-old kids Mm -hmm. in sweden at the time like cowboy boots looked like ladies boots basically Mm so i was a very disturbing moment and and it's traumatized i was traumatized because that was again i was like imagining this big big beautiful moment where everyone was just like touching them like oh my god alex has been is now a cowboy after three months in in fredericksburg on and instead they laughed at me and i've i never wore them again (laughs) but they're they're on my i have them on on in my apartment here on, on on a pedestal i still have the boots 
Well, let's take a, a couple of last questions from the world outside, All from right. the world of the internet. Are you ready for this? I don't know. Well, come on, Charmaine V says, what do you miss most about Sweden aside from family when you're in the States for long periods of time? Uh, was it your dad cooking naked? I remember that story from last time. That was great. That's a great, <laughs> that's something I, I definitely miss. Uh, but he's here quite a bit <laughs> So he States. can cook naked so at your apartment here. Clothing optional. Yeah, yeah, he'll come and cook at my place here. Um, <laughs> I do miss my pickled herring. You can't uh, get that here? No, it's, it's, you can, but it's... It's, it's not uh, the same. If you're in New York or L.A., yeah. But if you're shooting somewhere more, like, slightly more remote, mm-hmm. uh, in a rural area, it's, it's, it's not easy to find pickled herring. This is, this is sad. I and think this is very can... different from fermented herring. That's Sush drumming. It is. Of course it is. And I don't eat that. Idea. That's very... <laughs> pickled, not fermented. Pickled, not fermented. Huge difference. Listen to that, people. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's have Mark J. say, what is the best... Oh, yeah. There it is. The answer is already there. Anyway, to show everybody what you can do, it's time for song again as we end this. Okay. And I always ask for something in Swedish mm-hmm. because it's a beautiful language. It is a beautiful language. Know? Thanks, We've sir. heard you do American, Texas, everything yeah. else that you've done. What sense of melody and beauty can you give me in the Swedish tongue? Okay, so we just, uh, we were talking about pickled herring yeah. and a tradition in Sweden is to drink schnapps with, when you eat pickled herring and then you sing schnapps songs. Of course. Yeah. And there are many fantastic schnapps songs. The most famous one, and it's super easy, so we can sing it together. We can. We yeah. all know it. Let's, yeah. yes, come on. You know this old classic, <laughs> Peter. Sure I do. Helan gor, sjung hopp fader allan lallan lej. Helan gor, sjung hopp fader allan lej. Och den som inte helan tar, han heller inte halvan får. Helan går. Yeah. And then you drink. And you drink it. And then you go. Of course you do. Of and what did do. any of that mean? Nothing. It's just. It's just helan go. And doesn't mean anything. It kind of means. Helan uh, means the whole. So it says. It says. It basically. Drink the whole thing. And if you don't drink the whole thing. You don't. You can't bite it off you can't do half so it's a no half measure song it's basically all the songs are mostly stories about how drunk you're gonna get or how drunk you've been i'm sure within the next year there'll be alexander skarsgård sings the most famous schnapp song of all time i want it i'm gonna pre-order mine on itunes yeah stay tuned guys yes that's what it is thank you my friend thank you always a pleasure always a pleasure